If you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We are returning to this series we began last fall, a series that we entitled Treasuring Christ, Treasuring Christ Through All of Life. As you are turning back to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin again at verse 18, and we're going to read through chapter 4, verse 1, as we see how treasuring Christ sinks into all the avenues of life. Let's hear God's word from Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we need your grace. We need your power. We need your presence in our hearts, in our heads, and in our lives. Be with us. Be in the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing of this, your word, your glory. To our good, we pray in Christ's name. Relationships are the context where we see a treasuring Christ life play out. Either see it get fostered and encouraged or displaced and discouraged. We all long for the kinds of relationships that are life-giving. For the follower of Christ, for the one who is a Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 believer who is in Christ, we are given a roadmap for those kinds of relationships. Our series, our return to our series on treasuring Christ is one that we want to see a treasuring Christ kind of life through all of life, through all aspects of our life, through all avenues of life. We can go about treasuring Christ, including our relationships. Within our relationships, we can go about treasuring Christ. And treasuring Christ in our relationships gives us the opportunity to display Christ for the good of those relationships. I'm going to say that again. Treasuring Christ in our relationships gives us the opportunity to display Christ for the good of those relationships. Now, it is somewhat interesting that our return back into our Colossians series in the midst of our COVID-19 reality, is right here in the household, in the relationships of a husband and wife or parents and children, 
It's right into the thick of us all feeling our walls encroaching and getting smaller in our rooms, getting tighter in our relationships, feeling more maybe strained. And it's exactly here where a life that treasures Christ can go about displaying Christ for the good of those relationships. Treasuring Christ in relationships is about two things that we can get out of our passage, two big picture things. It is about doing good, one, and secondly, it's about displaying Christ. To go about treasuring Christ in our relationships, we are doing good so as to display Christ. Doing good, displaying Christ. That's what the overflow and the goal and the aim of treasuring Christ in the midst of our various relationships should be. To do good and to display Christ. So that's how we're going to think through this passage. As we look at these various relationships and dynamics, we want to think of them as doing good so as to display Christ. And the first one we have here is treasuring Christ in our relationships is about doing good. Doing good. Two things that we can draw out from looking and surveying the the scope of the verses that we considered together is that we see that doing good is an intentional doing. In the context of these relationships, there is intentional doing. There's action happening in the relationships by, by both parties, if you will, of that relationship. There are things that are being done on purpose, not on accident, not just simply reactionary, but actually initiative, intentional, doing on purpose. So keep this in mind. God has for you in your relationships the opportunity for you to do intentional good. Look, if you just sort of scan through our passage, there are nine imperatives in this section. Our English sort of works them out, and I'll say them, uh, I'll read through them. But in the original their original language, there are nine imperatives, nine, nine commands, nine things that we are called to do in light of who we are now in Jesus. In light of being a Colossians 3, 1 through 4 person who's in Christ, setting and setting his mind and set, seeking her heart, you know, seeking the things above in her heart, the things that we do in Christ, in light of that, there are nine things we are called to do in these various relationships. And I just want to go through those just to get a sense of how this relationship This treasuring Christ in our relationships has intentional doing to it. So here they are. Submit. Love. Do not make bitter. Obey. Do not provoke. Obey. 
work, serve, and provide. Those were all very much intentional actions. Every one of these commands is, A, an overflow of treasuring Christ in our hearts, and B, intentional actions done in the context of those relationships. It's the overflow of having a heart that treasures Christ, and then it and then it's an intentional action done to others for the good, for the context of those relationships. There's a vertical element related to these actions. It's the overflow of your heart and your mind, your very life set on Jesus and treasuring him. It's not passive. It's active. And as we consider those nine imperatives, not only are they intentional actions, but they're principally selfless. They are selfless. All of them are less of self and in order to do something to or for the other. So they are principally selfless in their initiative. You selflessly doing something with others being the recipient of your selfless doing. And that's the overflow of a heart that's treasuring Christ is that you will selflessly do for the good of the other, for the good of the relationship. Think of, this makes me think of Philippians chapter 2. The whole section, I encourage you to read it, but particularly of verse 3. So let's consider Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Whatever you, quote unquote, do in your relationships, a treasuring Christ approach to those relationships means your doing is for others and it is for good. Whatever you do in those relationships, when treasuring Christ marks your life, that do, that doing, those imperatives are for the other, for good of the relationship. And that leads us to the second component to this is, is that doing good is this intentional doing and the things that are being done are good. They're good. They're not bad. They're good. The overflow of a heart that treasures Christ is intentional to do good, to do good in the relationships. Note the character of those nine commands that you see through the whole of our passage that we're considering today. There are three things about the character of those commands that I want to draw out for us right now. The first is you can see that all of them are associated with what is kingdom living, that is, you wanting to live for the king, you wanting to have values that reflect that you belong to Christ. You live out those values in the context of those relationships. So there we are. It is this kingdom living approach. The way we, in fact, live out our treasure in Christ doesn't wash out our responsibilities in these relationships, but rather gives them greater opportunity to display 
what it looks like to belong to the king. These values are intentional good. Selflessly, as you live for the king. Which leads us to see that these commands were actually truly, in Paul's day and in ours, truly countercultural. And that's the second characteristic of these commands. First, it's about kingdom living, living to the values of the king. If you're going to have Jesus as your king, you want to live according to his values. You want to treasure them because you treasure the king. But secondly, it's going to be countercultural. As we understand these relationships in like time and space and the context and where we live them out in our actual lives, they're not going to follow the same value system of the world. They are going to be countercultural. I mean, we know this because of the people that are addressed by the Apostle Paul. In his day, the prevailing culture of Paul's day did not see women as equals and only saw children and bond servants as possessions to own. That's the cultural dynamic of the day in which Paul is addressing the Colossian church. And yet, the words that we read are directly given to women and children, and bondservants. They were direct words to them. That means they live as belonging to Christ. They live in a new reality where they are equal to any other believer in the church. And that they are actually in the church, not separated out from the church, but they are actually in the church as those letters are being read. They're hearing them with their own ears, and they're hearing them, themselves, who they are, their context being addressed directly during the corporate gathering of the church. That means they, too, have ways to go about treasuring Christ in their daily lives and relationships, and God has provided them with direction and encouragement and care. We can never overestimate how significant those moments would have been when Colossians were read, was read in churches where there were women and children and those who are bond servants. It was a countercultural character. Kingdom values, countercultural character. And then third thing about these is that the person doing the action will be an encouragement to the person receiving the action. An encouragement for them to live out their responsibilities and roles in their relationships. And so those two work together. As we do, we encourage the others to also do. Do intentional good as we labor together to treasure Christ. Now that's just sort of a flyover of the passage for us. It's, it's sort of taking it all in before we sort of move into more dissected sections and peoples and relationships. 
But I wanted to sort of lay that out so that we see that what God would have for us in our relationships is the opportunity for us to take our treasuring Christ's lives and see them have an impact on the lives of other people. This intentional doing good in the lives of other people. And in so doing, that leads us to our second point that we're considering today is that it is treasuring Christ in our relationships is about doing good. Yes, it's about doing good. And doing good so as to go about displaying Christ. Doing good so as to go about displaying Christ. And here we see Christ, Jesus, treasuring Christ, is our motive and aim in our relationships. Our motive and aim in our relationships. Let's consider these relationships that we see played out here in our passage together. The first relationships that are up are wives and husbands. So I want to review quickly uh, verses 18 and 19. Of Colossians chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. So here we have the wives addressed first. Again, don't underestimate how important and significant that moment would be in the context of the church, how countercultural that would be, the value given to wives, to women in that context. They're addressed first. And to the wives, what we see in, in terms of their role and responsibility within the relationship is that they are to submit, which literally means to arrange under, to arrange under, to take their lives as they are uniting with their husbands and arrange those lives alongside with and under their husbands. Not let, to not let a sense of individualism prevail, but now there is something new being formed, a new relationship. Marriage, as understood in the Bible, is a two-becoming-one relationship. There's a, a uniting of two lives Two lives together. We're probably feeling the tension of all of our lives pressed in together in our homes. I'm sure we're feeling the nearness of each other right now. But here in the context of marriage, wife and a husband, the wives are called to arrange their lives under their husband's. And that both wives and husbands enter into this union, this two becoming one union, sacrificially. Here, for the wife, her sacrificial belonging into this union is to arrange or to align her life with that of her husband's. Now, to the husbands, we find that they are called to love and do not be harsh as the translation I'm using says, love and do not be harsh. Literally, the do not be harsh means do not make bitter. So putting those together, loving and do not make the other person bitter, 
You can see how those go hand in hand. But interesting that, that the husbands would, would have this extra sort of dynamic fleshed out for them from the Apostle Paul. So as you go about loving your wife, you should probably do so in a way that doesn't make her bitter. The disposition and actions of a husband toward his wife are to foster the sort of relational security that produces peace and joy and safety in the wife. Not to produce in the wife a deep bitterness. So as we see, both people within this relationship are to selflessly care for the other, to selflessly do good toward the other, to build them up. And husbands are challenged to not be jerks. To not be harsh, to not make it hard for the wife to align her life to him. Hopefully we feel the weight of that. If you're watching this and you are a husband or preparing to be one and or long to be one, you don't live your life in such a way that it produces bitterness. It's weighty. Now I do have a quick word here. As the Apostle Paul is addressing the church, as he's addressing these relationships, as he's addressing what a life that is following Christ and treasuring Christ looks like in the various avenues of life, he's not addressing every single scenario or situation a relationship can be in. He's certainly hitting the high mark. He's certainly hitting the big picture of what God's purpose is for this relationship and how he wants that relationship lived out. His main approach is to encourage those who are in Christ to live that out in the relationship of their marriage. So that means this is not an outline of what to do in an abusive situation. What I want to say here is if you are in one, an abusive situation, an abusive relationship with appropriate precautions that are necessary for your context, report it to a pastor, a friend, a loved one, and together seek the necessary help that you need. You don't have to face this alone. You don't have to keep enduring it. Now, How then does this relationship of a wife and a husband, a wife who is aligning her life to her husband, and a husband who is loving in in such a way as to not produce uh, bitterness, but loving in a way that produces joy and peace, how does this display Christ? Well, first, it's found here in our motives. And our passage says, as is fitting to the Lord. So our motive to be selfless in marriage is to be form-fit to Jesus, to see his character evident in your life. The motive isn't to have a better marriage, though that's good and we all want that. The motive is really more to be form-fit to Jesus. I want to be form-fit to Jesus. I want my life to reflect more of Jesus, and that will then show up in how I treat my wife. Or if I were a wife, it would show up in the way I would treat my husband. 
It would be form-fit to Jesus. That's our motive. The hope and the trust in the midst of that, it would improve and strengthen and bring good fruitfulness into our marriages. But the motive, first and foremost, should be, I want my life to be form-fit to Jesus. That's our motive. And the aim, then, is to see Jesus on display in our marriages. The way we are in a marriage relationship is to live in such a way to help the other person live form fit to Jesus. They work together. That's how it operates. That's how two become one. They work together. Both must embrace and live out what God would want us to embrace and live out in our marriages. Incidentally, it would be really hard then to marry someone who doesn't treasure Christ, who doesn't trust Jesus, doesn't know him. It would be really hard to have a two-become-one situation in which one would be treasuring something other than Jesus. So let us endeavor carefully, purposefully, and joyfully to live out these relationships in a manner that treasures Christ together And helps each other do the same. Now, our next relational grouping is children's and fathers. And we can certainly understand that in the context of parenting, broadly speaking. Let's consider verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Once again, we see the children addressed directly, directly. So there they are, gathered in corporate worship, directly spoken to. How encouraging that must have been. The value placed on their life. Otherwise, in their broader culture, just treated them as if they were nothing or less than nothing. And so their instruction is simply to obey, which literally means listen to, listen to. Hear, understand, apply what your, what your parents say about how to live out your life. Children, you're in your living room and you're sitting there with your parents right now. This is part directly for you. So what I would say to you is hear what the Bible says. It's say, hey, listen to your parents. As they're trying to lead you and guide you in life and instruct you and help you know the character of God, His goodness, His grace in Jesus Christ what life looks like, they're not going to do that perfectly. They're not. But they care about you, and they want you to know God, love Him, and live for Him. Listen to them. Listen to them. Your, your response, if you have a heart that wants to treasure Christ, your response to that is that I want to value my parents as they help me understand who Christ is and what life looks like following Him. Don't make that hard for your parents. They're not perfect, but they love you. And they want the best for you. And that best is found in Jesus. So children, hear and understand and apply what your parents are saying, what life looks like following Jesus. And I, I would ask you, kids, this one question. Does it ever work out for you to not listen to your parents? 
in any way? Most likely, the answer is no. Other parts of the Bible say, honor your father and mother for it will go well for you. I think you all know that. So listen to your parents. Hear what they say. Follow them as they model out before you an imperfect but genuine life that's following Jesus. Now, to the fathers, and then we can certainly broaden that to include parents. We see this one command, do not provoke your children. Literally, it means do not stir up your children into strife. It means don't be so overbearing, so hard, so harsh, that it causes anxiety or or crushes your kid's spirit, causing them to not want to listen to anything that you have to say. This certainly applies to parents as a team. And we should understand it that way. We should apply it that way. But there is here a little extra juice for dads. So this is the convicting reality for husbands and dads. You get to set the pace of kindness in your home. The kind of kindness you express and show to your wife, the kindness that you express and show to your kids. There will never be a 20 or 30-year-old who will look back on his upbringing and say, my dad was too kind to me. You can never show too much kindness to your kids. Now, that doesn't mean it's lawless in the house and kids get to do whatever they want. Kids, you don't get to do whatever you want. But dads, parents, be excessive with kindness. How then does this display Christ? Well, the motive first is that we find in our passage is that we want to live these ways in these relationships because it's pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord that we would have these kinds of relationships. Wanting to live out being a parent or a son or a daughter that pleases Jesus. And the aim is then, it just makes it easier. It's the aim is really that you are displaying Christ when you want to live out your life as if to please Christ. And that just makes it easier for the others to do the same. So a kind set of parents or a kind father and kind mother nurturing and caring for their children makes it easier for their children to trust them and to hear them and to apply what they say about living out their lives. And kids, when you take your parents seriously and honor them, it makes it easier for your parents to be extra patient and kind to you as we all sort of navigate through life together and its ups and downs and joys and struggles. So the motive is to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord because in so doing you are displaying the Lord in your life. Now, it takes us to the last set of relationships, servants and masters. Bond servants and masters. So looking at verses 22 through verse chapter 4, verse 1, gets a little bit more attention. So here are these words. 
bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So once again, we see the servants, the bondservants, being addressed first in this relationship. And the Apostle Paul, through this letter to the Colossian church, is saying to bondservants something incredibly important. You are physically present in the church. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a valued person here. Quick note before we go any further. Quick note on slavery. The Bible addresses the reality of this cultural issue. And the Bible also addresses how to live within that cultural reality. Slavery was a was pervasive in the cultural dynamic of the day. And it ranged from household servants, which would be most likely the ones who were in attendance in a church gathered together. It would range from household servants to then the horrific, ugly underbelly of slavery that has pervaded uh, human history. Most likely people that were in attendance in the Colossian churches were going to be those in household servitude. The Bible doesn't support or prop up slavery. It does speak directly to those who are under it. Again, we cannot overstate the significance or underestimate the worth that is given with the direct communication of Scripture to people. Slavery is evil in all its forms. It's In all of its forms, it's antithetical to understanding that people, all people, are created in the image of God. But don't lose sight of the worth Scripture is placing on people in those contexts, giving them direction and encouragement in the reality of that cultural issue. And as we look at our passage, the bondservants get the most attention of all the relational pieces, signifying the, the challenge and the difficulty of treasuring Christ in hard and harsh situations. And what is it that we find for them? Well, first, we see that they are to obey. That is similarly to children in the sense that they are to listen to, that they are to understand what's being told of them or expected of them and to apply, to apply it to the way they live. And everything, that is, you don't get to pick what you want to do or when to do it. And you don't get to do it just simply as a people pleaser. There's, there's something a little more significant to us living out our responsibilities. Secondly, we see that they're told to work. And, to, and it's modified with the word heartily. That is, they are to be a hard worker. They're not just to do the job, but to do the job to the best of their abilities, to do it well. 
And they are to serve, we see. Caring for the concerns of another. Ultimately, the motive is to do your best as if you are doing it for Jesus. Because ultimately, for the believer, you really are doing that for Jesus. The way you live out your life. Human bosses, bosses, will be flawed and will fail you, but Christ won't. Now, to the masters, we have this interesting description. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Treat. The, the actual word behind all of that is to, to grant or to provide. To grant or to provide. Literally, it means provide justice and fairness. In a situation that in, in Paul's day, that was easy to exploit and to, to just live according to the cultural ebb and flow. This was a convicting countercultural word that they received. Grant and provide fairness and justice. Don't exploit or manipulate or lie or mislead because you have a master in heaven and he sees it all. So use your place in this relationship to shine the spotlight on him. Do good. How does this display then Christ? Well, I don't want to wash out the first century context by simply going a one-to-one to our current day of employer and employee. Bond servants couldn't just go about applying to any other job. And and. The, And their dynamic was very different than ours. But underneath that, there are some principles that do apply to our day. That is this. Live out your life for Jesus and what you do for a living. Live out your life for Jesus and what you do for a living. Work hard to the very best of your ability. For the glory of Christ. Be a boss that empowers the best from your people to the glory of Christ. Because in all of these relationships, really we could say the same thing. Live out that relationship to the best of your ability for the good of the other to the glory of Christ. That's how this treasuring Christ sinks down into all avenues of our lives. That we're willing and able, because of who we now are in Christ and all that we've received from Christ, to now live out selflessly so that the others around us would experience something countercultural, would experience the grace of God through our lives and, and endear their hearts to want to have the same in theirs. What a profound and overwhelming, joyful opportunity and responsibility we have in all of our relationships and why we have to treat Christ as our greatest treasure to receive the most in those relationships. What if we look at our relationships and saw them as contexts where where doing good to others for Christ took on new and fresh life? What if in our time of stay at home, 
a radical change occurs in our relationships in which more of more of us are doing good for others so as to display Jesus. Think of all the ways Jesus could bring transformation in and through our lives to the key people that are in our lives right now. Let us seek his grace for such an opportunity to put him on display. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us and and do the necessary convicting work in our hearts. Help us to see just how incredible you are and the grace that you have for us so that we would live out our lives and our relationships for your glory. Equip us to do good so as to display Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Church family, I hope you are well, and as you conclude your family worship time, as you conclude your worship, I hope that you sing heartily to the Lord, you see your life for him and his glory. Be well, stay safe. Hope to see you in the week ahead.